0: All right, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Let me read it to you, and then we're going to begin to unpack it. We won't even get halfway through it tonight. Daniel 9, starting in verse 20. While I was speaking, Daniel says, and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision." Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks." Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, as you hopefully can understand, there is a lot here. And it's going to take us at least two weeks to unpack much of this. Now, I'm also going to say this to you before we start breaking it down. What we have in Daniel 9 verses 20 through 27 is the key to unlocking most, if not all, of New Testament prophecy. That's how important this passage of Scripture is. You're going to see that tonight and a lot more next week. But I'm going to say it to you again because I can't can't emphasize it anymore. What we have in Daniel 9, 20 through 27 is so important when it comes to prophecy, Old Testament and New, that what we have here is the key to unlocking most, if not all, New Testament prophecy. So that's what we're going to be digging into. There's a lot here and I can't wait to begin to show it to you. But Daniel was speaking and praying and confessing his sins, we see in verse 20, and the sins of his people Israel and presenting his plea, sorry, his plea, his plea before the Lord his God for the holy hill of his God. Look look what it says though. It says, "While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice." Jump back to Daniel chapter 8. Because he's referring to this angel Gabriel that he had seen in the first vision. Well, most likely he's referring to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So, that's most likely what Daniel's referring back to. He's referring back to what the vision he talked about and what we know as chapter eight. By the way, that had happened 10 years prior to this happening right here in Daniel 9, 20 through 27. So he said, Gabriel came to him in swift flight. Now, I don't want you to miss how quickly Gabriel was sent by God to answer his prayer. I'm gonna to read to you three verses again. Look at verse 20 and 21 and 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Jump down to verse 23. Gabriel tells him, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you for your greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So when did God send Gabriel to answer his prayer? It was right at the beginning, as soon as he started praying. Well, wait a minute. How come God didn't wait until the end of his prayer to find out what he needed? Because he already knows. Doesn't Jesus tell us that in Matthew 20, 20, sorry, Matthew chapter 6? He says, the father already knows what you need before you even ask. He already knows, Psalm 139, David says, Lord, you know every thought of mine before it even makes my tongue. God already knows it all. He already sees it all. And he actually probably waiting for Daniel to pray. And he's responding to that prayer. What I want to do real quick is I want to talk to you. And we do not have time to even scratch the surface of the importance of prayer and how prayer works. That's another whole study for another time. But I can't move into our study of Daniel 9, 20 through 27 without touching on the fact that God responded instantly when Daniel prayed. And a lot of you would think, well, I've been praying about some things for a while and I haven't heard anything and God loves Daniel more than, than he loves me. Actually, we'll deal with that in just a second. When we get to chapter 10, we're gonna see another angel delayed 21 days in bringing an answer to Daniel. Jump over to chapter 10. Look at verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. We're gonna break this down in much more detail uh, when we get to chapter 10, but I don't want you to miss the fact that here Daniel was praying, and the answer was sent right away, but there was a spiritual battle going on in the spiritual realm, and the angel that was coming to bring him the message, Got stopped by a demon, and he battled against this demon for 21 days, three weeks. And on top of that, Michael, the archangel, had to come and help him defeat him, so he could get on with his job to come bring the message. But again, the message was sent. There was a delay in the spiritual realm, and the in the delay in the hearing of the the response of the prayer because of what was going on in the spiritual realm. Now. What I want to talk to you about tonight, without getting into too much, because there's so much to, coming, to really understand prayer and how God, how God works with prayer. What I want to deal with tonight is just this. I want you to see something. I want you to see God's heart for you when you pray. Now We've hopefully been around enough preachers that we've all heard the truth that when God answers our prayer, he answers three, one of three ways. Yes, no, and what? And wait, but I don't want you to, th- for a second, think that he's not going to answer. Jesus Himself taught us that that's not who God is. That's not how it works. And when you look at prayers, you'll notice that God responds quickly. Sometimes He says right away yes. Sometimes He'll say right away no. Other times He'll even say right away yes. But there are sometimes, as we just touched on, and we'll get to, to chapter ten. There are some other things that are involved. Sometimes, And again, I'm doing my best to not go too deeply here because I don't want get to get off track for where we're going tonight. But sometimes God responds and we're kind of, I'm going to say it nicely, too dumb to hear. And we miss out on some things because of what's going on on our end. One of them is a lack of faith. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 8. In James chapter 1, look at verses 5 through 8. Look closely at what God says here. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Don't miss that. Before we go any further, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who is not going to withhold it. He's going to generously give it to everyone without reproach, and it will, I underline in my Bible, it will be given to him. But let this, this person ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, God says, I have a heart to tell you, but if you are going to doubt and question, I got to deal with that before I come with the answer. Because why would God withhold an answer if you're going to doubt and question? Because even if he gives the answer, you're going to doubt and question and you're not going to really believe it. So he's going to have to deal more with the doubt issue before he can bring you the response. Again, there's a lot to this, but go back to Luke chapter 18. As you're turning to Luke 18 and looking at verses 1 through 8. I know you all can quote with me Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will, what he'll direct your paths. He will show you he'll, he'll make your path straight. He, he will, that's who he is. He responds. He's actually a loving father who wants to respond. So look at Luke 18 verses one through eight. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, always to pray and not lose heart. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? (laughs) The obvious answer is no. I tell you, he will give justice to them what? Speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Folks, I want to just say something to you tonight. When you pray, God responds. He does answer. Sometimes his answer is, wait, but he's still going to answer. You have to have an understanding of the heart of the father and that he's for you. There's a whole lot more that's going on. But let me just say this to you. Don't fall into the lie of the enemy that says, well, I'm not going to hear. Oh, he's not going to answer me. That's not what the Bible teaches about those of us who are his children. Let me give you one more example. You're in Luke 18, back up to Luke 11. Look at verses 9 through 13. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you'll know which, verse, which words to underline here real quick. Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you, ask and what? It will. If yours says it shall, that's fine. Underline, it will. It shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Before we go any further, don't miss that. See, there's a big difference between having the truth of God being in our heads and being in our hearts. Can I, if I were to ask you, does Luke 11, verses 9 and following say, ask and it will be given and seek, you'll find, knock and the door will be open"? you'll say, yeah. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Even if you have to wait. Just because you haven't heard anything doesn't mean that he hasn't answered. And it also doesn't mean that he won't. He will. But sometimes he makes us wait. Go ahead, Becky. Well, again, that's definitely, Becky said that sometimes he has something better for us than what we're asking for. And that's why sometimes he says no. And we don't know why he said no. And we get mad because his no, we think is, I don't like you. But if you really understand the heart of the father, which we're gonna get to in just a second, if we really understand the heart of the father to you, you will pray and believe that everything he says is going to come right away and it's going to be good. Go ahead. Does Islam teach that prayers can be answered? I'll be honest with you. I don't know the, the, the Islam teaching enough to answer your question of whether or not Islam teaches that prayers can be answered. I don't know the answer to that question. Because to be honest with you, I have not studied Islam doctrine. So I couldn't answer it. I couldn't answer that question. But go to, finish, finish verses Luke 11 through 9 through 13. He goes, look at verse 11. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oh, that. by the way, that moves us into what I want to deal with real quick next before we break, start breaking down Daniel 9, 20 through 27. Go back and look at how Daniel is described by the angel Gabriel. Look at verse 23. The Gabriel says, "At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved." This isn't the only time he's described in this way. Jump over to chapter 10, look at verses 10 and 11. And chapter 10, another episode we're trying to get to when we get to chapter 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Jump over to verses 18 and 19. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved. Fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and, and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Now, some of you again have unfortunately believed lies and sitting, you're, you're sitting there going, I got no problem believing that Daniel was greatly loved. I mean, he, he was a guy that served God and, and we don't see a whole lot bad in his life. And Jim, I got no problem believing that you are greatly loved because you're a preacher and, and God loves preachers more than he loves people like me and you. Listen, let me say something to you. Jesus just gave us a clue to something in Luke 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you because everyone that asks receives and so on. Listen to what he says. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give what? Who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him and love him. Let me say something to you. You and I actually have a greater relationship with God right now than even Daniel did. I saw your eyes go up. That's kind of hard for you to grasp, isn't it? But you and I have actually received blessings that the nation of Israel is going to get, as we're going to see at the end of time. We've already received them now because of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection and what God's doing right now through the church age. You and I actually have a closer relationship right now with God than Daniel had because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's why even someone like David could pray, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Is that something you and I have to ever have to pray? No, because he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He seals us with his spirit. We're guaranteed eternity. Folks, let me say something to you. Go to John 16. I want you to let this truth sink into your heart. It might actually affect how you pray and how much you pray, but you're greatly loved. Look at John 16, verses 25 through 27. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, I've said these things to you in figures of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying to you that I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself, himself loves you. Some translations say already, and I think that's great because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Did you catch that? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ and because God's sealing us with the Spirit, we're already in Christ. We're loved by the Father. Can't be loved any more than we are. And on top of that, we, when we ask now, because we're in Christ, we are like walking up to the throne of God as Jesus, asking as a co-heir with Christ. We ask in his name, and Jesus said, listen, I'm not going to go speak to him on your behalf. I don't have to. He loves you already because of your love for me and your faith in me. Go to 1 John chapter 4. And folks, I can't preach you into getting this. I wish I could. I wish I could yell loud enough, scream loud enough, read this hard enough that you would get it. But it won't happen until you meditate on the word of God and it moves from your head to your heart. When you've moved from tasting that he's good to swallowing. 1 John 4, look at verses 10 through 19. He said, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. How? Because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know, oh, look, there's a difference, and to believe the love that God has for us. Some of you know about the love that God has for you, but I wonder if you believe it. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For that type of fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let me say something to you. Just this past week, I had the privilege of preaching up in New England, as some of you know, because that's why we haven't had Bible studies for three weeks, and we've been traveling and all. And... I actually preached a series at a Christian conference center up there in New England, and I spent three nights, an hour each night, breaking down Psalm 23. The messages God had me preach at a church in Raymond, I used Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, two weeks. And the messages I preached at the Christian conference center in Alton Bay, New Hampshire, God had me focus on Psalm 23. And you could pretty much title all of those messages this, living it, not just quoting it. Because most of us could probably quote Psalm 23, as we all could just quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But most of us quote it, but very few live it. I'm not going to take the time to break down all Psalm 23, but you know how it ends? Do you know what David actually says? He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And one of the things I brought out to them was the fact that that word surely in the Hebrew could also be translated only. Say it again now, using only instead of surely. Only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you realize how different we would be in this world if we really believed that? That even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear an evil because he's with us. That there are times he blesses us and leads us by still waters and makes us lie down in green pastures. But there are other times that he has us go through stuff. But what are we worried about? Folks, if COVID gets you, you're going to heaven. (laughs) If it doesn't, you stay here and get more reward for later on when you do get to go to heaven. It's time that the world sees Christians actually living in a daily walk with him that says, you know what, because of Jesus, God's wrath has totally been removed from me. The only thing coming to me now is God's love and mercy, because I still sin, and thank God he still gives me mercy, and only mercy and goodness are going to follow me all the rest of my life. You know what? If you actually had that kind of joy and that kind of peace as you walked around, because you didn't just know it, you believed it, it would change your prayer life, it would change how you respond. You could, like Jesus, when Jesus was standing before Pilate in John 19, Pilate says to him, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or have you released? And Jesus calmly looks at him and said, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it was given to you by my Father. In other words, you may think that you're the one I'm looking at, Pilate, but I'm not. I'm looking past you. (laughs) I'm so good with the Father that I'm not even worried when all this stuff's going on. Because he's got a plan, and it's good, and I trust him. Even though I don't understand it, of course, Jesus understood it, but you and I don't understand it, we should be okay because we really understand that everything that comes to me now, even though it may not be pleasant, is from his hand of love because I'm in Christ. Again, we're going to start breaking down Daniel 9 tonight, but we just can't get to where we're going without Noticing that the moment he started praying, the answer came. And he's greatly loved. And you and I have that same blessing. Now, Daniel has been praying about Israel's 70-year captivity in Babylon. We already dealt with that a few weeks ago when we were last together. And Gabriel comes and tells him that even though he have been praying about 70 years of captivity in Babylon, 77s, some translations say weeks, have been declared or decreed. The English English Standard Version here says decreed. I love that. By God, for who? Look at the passage. For who? Verse 24. 70 weeks or 77s are decreed about your people and your holy city. Go back to verse 20. Look closely at who he was praying about. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. That's Jerusalem, especially the Temple Mount. Gabriel comes and he says, listen, you're praying about 70 years of captivity. We looked at that prayer last time we were together. I want to tell you that God wants you to understand something. 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city. Now, don't miss this. As you'll see, Daniel prayed for his people Israel and for the holy hill of Jerusalem. Gabriel was sent with a decree that just as 70 years were decreed for the captivity, so too were 77s decreed for them as a nation as well. And Jerusalem would be the center of where much of what would happen in the future would take place to accomplish these 70 sevens. Now, the Hebrew word translated sevens or weeks in our Bibles is like our word dozen. If I say I have a dozen, what do I have? I have 12, but 12 of what? You don't know. The word dozen just means 12 of something. Now, the context would help you understand what I have 12 of. I'm gonna just lay it out for you tonight, and then we're gonna use scripture and history and New Testament prophecy to prove this. But when he says 77s or 77s of something, he's talking about 77 year periods. That's what it's talking about. So when he says 77s are decreed for your people in your holy city, he says 490 of something is decreed for your people and, for, and your holy city. I'm going to have you just take my word for it, and I'm going to show you from Scripture. Uh, The word seven is referring to, because the context was what? He was praying about 70 what of captivity? 70 years. Seventy seven-year periods are decreed for the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. That adds up to 490 years. We're going to be doing a lot of math next week, so bring your calculator, bring your paper. We're going to do a lot of that next week. But the context is years. Years. Now, remember, Daniel's been praying about the 70-year captivity and their captivity because they ignored the Sabbath years for 70 Sabbath years over a 490-year period. Now, also, Daniel uses this exact same word in chapter 10, word translated sevens or weeks. He uses it in the next chapter, but he quickly points out that the seven there refers to days. Go to Daniel 10. Look at verses 2 through 4. He says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. All right? I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th, what? Day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, there's tigress, lifted my eyes. So that word there, sevens, is actually here referring to seven days. Okay? Because he quickly points out it was days. Now, Back in Daniel 9, though, the context is years. So comparing our interpretation of sevens being seven-year periods to other New Testament prophecies, we're going to see that the years translation or interpretation works. Go to Daniel 9, look at verse 27, and we're going to start doing a little bit of math here. And it's going to get almost comical how much God uses so many different ways for us to get it. In Daniel 9, look at verse 27. It says, And he, this is the Antichrist we've been looking at a little bit in our study of Daniel, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or one seven-year period. And for half of that seven-year period, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So if one week is one seven-year period, what, how much is half of a seven-year period? Three and a half years. Keep that in mind. Go to Matthew 24 and look at verses 15 through 22. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. Jesus has been laying out the seven-year tribulation period, as you've heard me teach on before. And he says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, we just read about that, let the reader understand... Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. And no, never will be. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So here we see that Jesus says, when you, he's telling Israel, remember, he's talking to the Jews here. We've already laid this out because he wouldn't tell us to pray that it doesn't happen on Sabbath. Those Sabbath regulations don't apply to us as the church. He also says, those in Judea. He also says, pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter. The church is everywhere. It's winter somewhere, you know, but he's saying, no, listen closely. He says, when you see the abomination spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, that's going to happen at what point? The three and a half year point of the seven years. He says, when you see that, get out of Israel, run for your life. Go to Revelation 12. Go to Revelation 12. Look at verses 13 and 14. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. And when the dragon, Satan, saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had been given birth to the male child. That's Israel had been given birth to Jesus. But the woman, Israel, was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. All right. So hang on for a second. The woman, Israel, is going to run out into the wilderness when Satan goes after her. And she's going to be protected for a time, times, and half a time. Anybody have any idea how long that is? That's three and a half years. But just in case you're not sure, go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for how long? 1,260 days. By the way, for those of you that don't know this, in the Jewish understanding of a year and the Jewish way that they counted years, their years were 360-day years, not 365 like ours. So if anybody's here got a calculator, you divide 1,260 days by 360 days, what do you get? You get three and a half years. You get three and a half years. But just in case you still don't get it, go to Revelation chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations, and they'll trample on the holy city for how long? 42 months. It may want to take a wild guess on how long 42 months is? It's three and a half years and I'll grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Folks, listen closely. God's already said in Daniel 9, 27, that it's going to be at a three and a half year period that this Antichrist breaks the covenant that he's going to confirm for one seven year period. And he's going to break it at the midpoint, which is three and a half years. Oh, in case you didn't get it, that's when Jesus told the Jews, when you see that happen, run for your life. But when Jews, nation of Israel, runs into the wilderness, they'll be protected for Time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Oh, they'll also be protected for 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. And also another place it said 42 months, which is three and a half years. The context of the Old Testament and New Testament prophecy is actually not all. I'm going to show you some more Old Testament, but the New Testament works with the seven-year interpretation of sevens being a seven-year period. Go to Daniel chapter 7, look at verses 23 through 25. A couple of Old Testament prophecies, the math works as well. Daniel chapter 7, look at verses 23 through 25. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. There it is again. By the way, when Revelation said times, time, and half a times, it was referring to Daniel's prophecy. Go to Daniel 12. Go to Daniel 12, verses 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, then that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. By the way, if you want to feel a little better, look at the next verse. Daniel says, I heard, but I didn't understand. By the way, didn't Gabriel come to give him understanding? Let me say something to you. There's a lot about prophecy that we can put together with the Spirit's help. But the Bible actually says in the book of Peter that the Old Testament prophets sought intently looking at what the Spirit in them was saying when they prophesied about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. And they were told even though they didn't understand what they were prophesying, that it wasn't going to be during their time, but it was going to be for another time. But aren't we glad they passed it on, even though they didn't understand it, and it was for another time. I'm going to say it to you again and again and again. The Bible is very, very clear, and we're going to see this a little bit more tonight. This last seven-year period that's about to come on the whole earth is for the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Oh, the world's going to be affected, but it's not for the church. The church age came into being after the break of the 490-year prophecy, which we're going to get into next week. And we're in this time period that God's put Israel on hold. And we're going to be taken away. And then this last seven-year period is going to happen. But we have a responsibility, just like the ancient prophets did, to share this. You see, there's a story that I could point you out to, and you can go double-check me in Acts chapter 8, where Philip's told to leave Samaria and head down the desert road to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as he's on the way, listening to the Spirit, Spirit tells him to go over to this chariot where there's an Ethiopian eunuch. And the man's reading the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, how he was bruised for our iniquities and crushed for our sins. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And then the Ethiopian unit asked this question. He goes, who was Isaiah writing about? Was he writing about himself or somebody else? And Philip, because he had been not only saved, but indwelt by the Spirit and been given understanding, was able to explain to him that Isaiah was pointing to Jesus and used other scriptures to point him out. And the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith. There's a lot that we understand now as Christians, followers of Christ who study the Word and have the Spirit within us, that we can explain to people, and that's what my job is. There's also other things that we have to be okay with that haven't happened yet. And we can't explain it to people. We have to say, that's going to happen in some way, but we have to trust God with that. And a lot of what we're going to look at isn't going to happen while we're here. But you have a responsibility to share it with people so that if they are here when that comes, they have understanding as God opens their eyes. Now, before we break down the specifics of the prophecy, which we will do next week, and see how what has been fulfilled already of that prophecy. Actually, most of that prophecy in Daniel 9, 20 through 27 has already been fulfilled. All except for one seven-year period. We'll do that next week. And not only was it fulfilled, I'm going to show you it was literally fulfilled to the day. It wasn't roughly. It was literally to the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But we need to look at the six things that God said would be accomplished during the 490 years for Israel in Jerusalem. Go back to Daniel 9 and look at verse 24. It says 70 weeks or 77-year periods are decreed about your people and your holy city. Number 1, to finish the transgression. During these 490 years, God is going to accomplish these 6 things. Finish the transgression, number 2, put an end to sin, and number 3, to atone for iniquity, number 4, to bring in everlasting righteousness, To number five, seal both vision and prophet. And six, to anoint a most holy place. In the 20 minutes we have left, we're just going to cover the first three. But remember, these are decreed for who? Israel Israel and the city of Jerusalem. The the end of this 490-year period, which we still have one seven-year period left, which we'll deal with next week. The end of this time period will bring an end to the transgression of disobedient Israel, the nation. Look closely again how, how it's worded. To put in, to finish what? The transgression. As you're gonna see in just a little bit, also put an end to sin. We'll deal with that in a little bit. Anybody wanna take a wild guess what the transgression is? What is the transgression that Israel, nation, national Israel committed? They rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. And I can't wait to show you something I've never seen this in Peter's sermon until I was studying this. Go to Acts chapter 3 and look at verses 19 through 21. Now, as you're turning to Acts 3, verses 19 through 21, the nation of Israel rejected God many times in their history. As you'll also see, they rejected their Messiah when he came to them. We're going to deal with that next week in more detail. But at the end of these 490 years, they will end their transgression or the transgression And receive their Messiah and be saved. In Acts chapter 3, look at what Peter says, preaching to the Jews. He's been saying all through his sermon, men of Israel, men of Israel, look at verses 19 through 21. We'll we'll go back to verse 17. It'll help us get started. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, He said, brothers, you acted in ignorance as also did your rulers, but everything that God said would happen to the Messiah happened to him, just like he said. And Listen, but you need to repent and believe in the Messiah so that this Messiah can be sent. In other words, the Messiah is not going to come back to this earth. Now, we're going to be raptured prior to this, but Jesus won't come back to this earth to set up his kingdom until after Israel realizes what they've done. And the nation repents. Then he'll send the Christ. The scriptures show us this. Go to Matthew 23. Look at Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. By the way, this is on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem that we're going to look at next week. On that day that fulfilled the first three quarters plus of the 490 years to the day on that day, Matthew 23, 37 through 39, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, they had already said That morning, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as he rode into Jerusalem. But they didn't mean it. Within a few days, he's going to be killed. Look what Jesus says You guys aren't going to see me again until you believe. That's the second half of the tribulation. That's it. It's going to happen at the very end of the tribulation, the very, very end. And I'm glad you said that because that's a great transition to our next passage. Go to Romans 11. Go to Romans 11, look at verses 25 through 27. That's going to happen at the very end of the tribulation period. Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. Paul, remember, he has a heart for the Jews, but he's an ambassador to the Gentiles. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He'll banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Don't miss that. Paul says, look, this church age thing, God's doing this to make Israel jealous. We've already seen that earlier in chapter 11. But he said also, I don't want you to be ignorant of this. Israel's experienced a hardening in part. There are some individual Jews that are still being saved, but as a whole, the nation of Israel is not being drawn right now. Individually, yes, but as a nation, no. Until God's done with this Gentile thing that he's doing, and then at the end of that time period, all Israel will be saved. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? Again, talking to the Jews, and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The Bible actually says if we were to take the time and I showed you, you're already drinking from a fire hose. I can't make you drink anymore. So let me just say this. The Bible says that during that tribulation period, two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed. And of the one-third that are left, half of them are going to run into the wilderness. Another half is going to stay in Jerusalem. But the Bible says that the end of that tribulation period, after the Jews have gone through all this, the Jews that survived because they believed what Jesus said and they ran for their lives and they listened to Jesus, are gonna have a change of heart because God's gonna do something where he's gonna open up a spirit of grace and they're gonna believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Actually, some prophecy people, and I'm in that group, believe that there are some Old Testament prophecies that hint at the fact that for three days until Jesus comes, the Jews that are hiding in the wilderness are gonna be saying Isaiah 53 over and over and over. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins over and over and over for three days. The scriptures kind of hint at that fact. So at the end of the 490 years, Israel will finish the transgression or God will finish the transgression of the nation Israel and Israel will be saved. There's also a second thing the Bible hints at and here it's referenced in Daniel 9. At the end of the 490 years, he's going to put an end to sin. Now, does that mean there's not going to be any sin during the millennial kingdom? No, the Bible says there's still going to be sin. Not very much, but there's going to be some. Some people are still going to die, and and Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron. But the nation of Israel, remember this this is for the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel that is saved at the end is going to live in the kingdom without sin. Now, some people have a hard time with that. Let me ask you a question. Um, how many of you are going to be coming back with Jesus when he comes back and live on the earth and rule and reign with him? Are you going to sin during that time period? How come? You've already got a new body. You'll have a new body at that time. All right? You've got a spirit within us. We'll have a new body. We're not going to sin during that time period. What's going to happen to Israel at the end of the tribulation period? They're going to get their new bodies, and they're going to enter the kingdom just like you and I, and the Israel that is saved is also going to live without sin. Help your unbelief. Go to Isaiah 27. Go to Isaiah 27. We all have a hard time imagining you without sin too, Glenn, if that makes you feel any better. But Jesus said it's going to happen, so you might as well believe it. We, we might as well too. Go to Isaiah 27. Look at verses 1 through 9. I'm going to hit these fast because we've got, we got 10, 12 minutes left, and I, I got a few scriptures. Isaiah 27, 1 through 9. In that day... The Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, that's Satan. Leviathan the twisting serpent, and he'll slay the dragon that's in the sea. In that day a pleasant vineyard, sing of it, I the Lord am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day, I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them, I would burn them up together, or let them lay hold of my protection, let them make peace with me. let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and pour forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. He has struck them as, sorry, has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile, you contend with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of east, east wind. Therefore, by this the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, and no ashram or incense altars will remain standing. In that day, Israel's sin will be removed, and the nation won't sin anymore. The ones who are saved and come back in the new bodies. Go to Ezekiel 36. Go to Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 27. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came, and I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I'll take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I'll cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart." and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Then he goes on, and says, "You'll dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Jump over to chapter 37, look at verses 21 through 28. In chapter 37 of Ezekiel, verse 21. And they and then say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and gather them from all around and bring them into their own land. And I'll make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be over them all and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms like they were this north and south kingdom. They shall not defile themselves any more. With their idols and with their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Now my servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have all have one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace. With them, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I'll set them in their land and multiply them, and set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, and my sanctuary is in the midst forevermore. One more Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. On that day, not only will Israel have the transgression come to an end, and they'll no longer reject the Messiah as a nation. God said he's also going at the end of the 4,490 years, put an end. To sin in Israel. Remember, it's for Israel. Put an end to sin. Did you catch that? Not only will everybody be saved, they won't need a preacher or a teacher saying, No, the Lord, because every one of them will know him. Every one of them will know him. There's a third thing, and we have time to do it. Go back to Daniel 9, you'll see that during these 490 years, and by the end of the 490 years, there'll be an end or a finish of the transgression. Put an end to sin. And to atone for iniquity. I hope you understand sin just simply can't be ignored. It has to be dealt with. But this was done by Jesus himself in Jerusalem by his death on the cross. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, look at starting in verse 17. I I want you to see what God through Paul says to us in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new is come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, listen closely, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us we appeal you in behalf of Christ be reconciled to God for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God listen to what he's saying he says at that moment that Jesus died on the cross there in Jerusalem during that 490 year period what i want you to understand is is that at that moment God was in Christ reconciling who to himself No. What does that passage we just read say? Not Israel. The world. Listen, there are some preachers that tell you Jesus only died for those who are going to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. Over and over, the Bible says he died for the whole world. He died for the whole world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That doesn't mean everybody's automatically saved. We now have the message of reconciliation saying... Be reconciled to God. In other words, God's already paid for your sin. All you have to do is receive it. If I said to you, your meal has already been paid for, and you go to my waiter and say, never mind, I'll pay for it myself. Is your meal paid for? Yes, it is, but you didn't receive it. You didn't receive the benefit of it because you went and paid your own money. You understand what I'm saying? God's already paid for the sin of the whole world. But everyone who says, no thanks, will have to pay for it themselves, even though it was already paid for for them. And oh, by the way, the Bible says you'll never be able to pay for it, and that's why hell's eternal. Our message is, not that God's mad at you, but if you ask him to change his mind, he'll change his mind. The message is, God loves you. He's already paid for your sin. You just have to receive it. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He made an atonement for sin there in Jerusalem on the cross. This is ours now in the time of the Gentiles, but one, way, one day will be applied to national Israel. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Zechariah chapter 12. I've been waiting to show you this verse. Some of you probably can quote it, but this is just a cool, cool verse. Zechariah chapter 12. Remember, these six things are decreed for Israel and the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 12, look at verse 10. God says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace And pleased for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. God's going to pour out his spirit on the nation of Israel that survives the tribulation period, and they're going to believe in Jesus. And not only that, they're going to grieve and mourn because they realize what they've done. Go to to Zechariah 13. Right there, probably on the same page for some of you. Look at verse 1. On that day... There shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. When was this already paid for and taken care of? At the cross. When will national Israel receive it? When they turn to faith at that day, at the end of the 490 years. Go to Isaiah 59. You're going to make it. We're going to make it. Two more verses, and we got two minutes. Isaiah 59. Look at verses 20 and 21. Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. And the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, And my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. One last one. Ezekiel 39, 25 through 29. Ezekiel 39, verses 25 through 29. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I'll be jealous for my holy name They shall forget their shame and all their treachery they have practiced against me when they dwell securely in their land with none to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them from their enemies' lands and through them have vindicated my holiness in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. Listen closely. I will leave none of them remaining among the nations any more. By the way, has that happened yet? Uh, you've been to Fort Lauderdale? There's a few Jews down there. In New York, there's a few Jews there still. There, there's still a few around the world. Even though they've gathered back into their land, these prophecies about the last days aren't happened, haven't happened yet. They've just had enough Jews go back, so the end time stuff about the nation of Israel being there in the land so Satan can chase them out. Can be fulfilled. But these prophecies are still to be fulfilled. Then they shall know I'm the Lord their God, because I sent them into exile among the nations and then assembled them into their own land. I'll leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them when I pour out my spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. We're going to, next week, finish the last three of the six things that are going to happen, be accomplished for Israel and Jerusalem during the 490 years, and then we're going to begin breaking down the actual prophecy and how the math works out, and I can't wait to show it to you. But it's going to become clear that everything God said would happen literally happened to the day of the first 483 years of that 490-year prophecy. But then on the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and was cut off, and rejected. Israel's been on hold, and there's one seven-year period left for Israel and Jerusalem. The end of this church age, we're gone, and that's going to happen. Can't wait to talk to you about it. I love you. We'll see you next week.